When I was on my renewal leave the first three months of this year, one of the neat opportunities I had and the travels that I was able to enjoy was to meet people who were not part of any kind of church community. Some of them self-identified as kind of spiritual but not part of a church. Some of them didn't have any kind of faith background whatsoever. And it was neat as, as I traveled, I visited with people in a train station and, and airports and had a couple chances when my kids were with me. And I, I, they, I think, went back and forth between amused by these strangers that I just struck up a conversation with and annoyed that, uh, that I was striking up conversations with strangers that, that nobody knew. And, uh, and then I had the opportunity with Cheryl to travel in Egypt and then Jordan. And, and we specifically, you can take church-sponsored trips over there, but we specifically didn't because we wanted the experience of traveling with people who didn't have kind of the same background that we did. And I didn't didn't go up to anybody and be like, so what do you think of the church? Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't that direct, but but when you, people find out you're a pastor, you sort of naturally find yourself in these conversations about the church and, and faith. And so I had an opportunity in, in a variety of conversations to, to hear impressions of the church today. And I've got to tell you, I, it kind of broke my heart. I was challenged by it. I mean, I, I heard people say things about what they thought the church was or what they thought the church stood for in the world, God's church. And, and I thought, no. That's, that's not who we are. I came back from, from renewal leave passionate, deeply passionate, and knowing that, that we must, I believe that we absolutely must, as, as Clay Church, be out there in the world sharing what the church is meant to be, both living it and saying it, representing who, who God calls the church to be in the world. That's why this month we're talking about our clay vision, the picture God has, has given us about who we are, are called to be as a, as a church. And, and yes, we are messy and broken. We as the people of Clay Church, we're messy and broken too. But that's okay because it allows us to, to display for the world that, you know what, in all the messiness and brokenness, the church is meant to accept people and love people. Our vision here at at Clay Church is grounded, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, is grounded in the the story of the walk to Emmaus. It's kind of our our scriptural center of this vision that God has has given us. And we're just going to take a a moment to briefly kind of share where we've been. So this walk to Emmaus story in Luke 24, it begins, Jesus has been resurrected, the women have seen Jesus, the, the men uh, followers have, have not, and they've got these questions, and uh, we pick up the story with Cleopas and another disciple, and they're, they're walking along a road outside Jerusalem, and a stranger comes up and, and walks alongside them, and, and it's Jesus, but they don't know that, and along that walk, Jesus kind of embraces them, and, and in, the, in the midst of their questions and doubts and struggles, Jesus just embraces them and helps open up what the scriptures say to them. And then they, in turn, they embrace Jesus. 
still don't know who it is. They embrace Jesus and they, they invite him in off the road and, and break bread with him. And it's in that moment that they, they recognize who Jesus is. It's when they embrace Jesus that they recognize his presence with them. This is the first pillar of our vision, the first, the first part of our vision, which is to embrace every person in the love of God. Who are we? That's the question we're asking. Who are we? Well, we are a church. We imagine ourselves to be a church where every person is embraced. Not just every person that walks through the doors on a Sunday morning, but we are the church. So every person that we encounter as the people of Clay Church, we want people to go, Clay Church, yeah, that's that people that just embrace everybody in God's love. Let's walk to Emmaus' story, though. It goes on. Jesus, after he breaks bread, he, he departs. He leaves them, and, and then the Cleopas and the other disciple, they say, weren't our hearts burning within us when he opened up the scriptures to us? And then they go at once, the Bible tells us. They didn't wait until it got safe in the next day. They went at once because this good news was too much to share. Their passions were ignited. That's the second part of our clay vision. Passions ignited to serve where God calls not to, you know, think, yeah, someday I'm going to serve. No, to, to answer the, the nudge of the Spirit, the, the fire of the Spirit in us to go and serve where God calls. That's who we are. People who answer the call, let God ignite our passions to serve. Which brings us to the next part of the story. We're going to read what happens next. It's actually what happens sort of after the walk to Emmaus story. And it's the foundation for kind of the third pillar, the final pillar of our, of our vision. Would you pray with me before, and then we'll, then we'll dive in. Holy God, as we gather together today, just open our eyes to, to see what you want to show us. Open our ears to hear and to listen to the message that you would have from your word, from these reflections for each one of us. My God, just open our hearts and our minds to, to gain your wisdom and to be filled with your love so we're ready to share it as your witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 24, we read this story of Emmaus, and then this is what happens next. The disciples are, are gathered together. It says this, while they were still talking about this, the followers, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. If, uh, if I could be honest for just a moment, and I'm going to sit as I, as I say this, because the truth is, I love being in ministry there are lots of stuff that you do in the organization of a, of a church, and, and some of you have probably heard me say this. Like, when I sit down at a, at a table, like a dinner table or a, um, or a you know, coffee table to have a conversation, like, this is ministry to me. It's just to, to sit down and have conversations about, you know, what, let's wrestle with this together. Let's wrestle with what it means to be the church. Let's, let's wrestle with who God is and, and how we understand God and, and how God is at work in our lives. So I, I want to invite you to imagine that today because here's the reality. There are, um, are going to be over 200 people in, in worship today, maybe more than that. And, and, uh, and I, I tried to do the math. That's why we're hiring Carolyn, so I don't have to do math. Um, I tried to do the math, and I think I'd have to meet with like somebody every hour for like three weeks, and, uh, and that's just not realistic. So we're just going to have to imagine today that, that we're you're just going to sit down, and, and I hope I can just kind of share openly and honestly about the church and our vision and, and, uh, and my thoughts, and then over time, over the weeks ahead, for you to feel open to, to share your thoughts and, and ideas as, as we seek to be the church together. It, one of the things that strikes me about this scripture Sometimes I just like to, like to try and visualize and have fun with the scripture. So, a quick story. When, when Ella was about six years old, maybe, maybe seven years old, I don't know, somewhere in that like first grade uh, time frame, uh, she went through this phase where she loved to sneak up and scare us. Here's my guess about what happened. My guess is that her older brother, Noah, um, probably scared her, and it, it made her mad, but she also found it being kind of fun. And then she didn't dare scare him back until she picked us up that it was fun to scare her mom and dad. And so she would sneak around a corner or, or um, you know, just when we were sitting on the couch, come up behind the couch and go, boo, or, or gotcha, you know, anything to try and scare us. And, you know, at six or seven, imaginative, but... It didn't work very often, but I do remember one time I was in our room, and I, I, I don't know why I remember this one, uh, except for one detail you're going to hear in a moment. I was in our room, I think because uh, she didn't come in our room all that often, I was in the closet getting something out of my closet, and she had uh, very quietly come around the corner, and as loud as she could, she went, Dad! And I jumped like, the startle just shot me up in the air. I, I remember seeing the top of the closet door. We're talking Michael Jordan height. <laughs> By the way, I know the Michael Jordan reference dates me. LeBron James height? Uh, who is it today? Anyway, um, uh, I'm sure I wasn't really that high, but I just remember that, that startled moment. And I, I think about that because I, it's just kind of a fun way to, to 
imagine this scripture for a moment. Like, I think sometimes we read the Bible and, and we, don't, we don't read it with imagination, but I, I think God gives us imagination. Can you imagine, I just want you to picture for just a moment, like the disciples, they're hanging out, they're, they're struggling. Like, it's a difficult, crazy time. And, uh, and they're, they're wrestling about what, what life looks like. And Jesus is just like hovering there waiting until they aren't paying any attention at all. And then all of a sudden, he appears and he goes, peace be with you. The, the Bible tells us that they were frightened and startled. Like not just, not just oh, who is this? I mean, they, there was something going on, like some physical emotion. I like to imagine the disciples with this, this physical emotion to Jesus' presence in the room. And it uses all of these words. They were, they were startled and frightened and, and amazed and, and wondering and questioning. There are all these words throughout the scripture about, about the reaction in that moment. And I wonder if we just can't find some comfort there. Right? We, we gather in a world where we're sometimes frightened and questioning and up, our, our plans for, for life are upended by what has gone on. And, and yet, as it says of the disciples, there are also moments of, of happiness and joy in that. And in the midst of all of that is where Jesus appears to them. And then he says to them, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. The word used here for witness is the, is the same word where we take our English word martyr, which is significant. Jesus is saying, you you are going to give your all for me and to witness to, to who I am. He's inviting them, right? He's inviting them to, to give their whole selves. And I wonder what that, what that looks like for us as we hear this invitation. You will be witnesses. Jesus says, I just... I want you to not worry about anything. God is going to take care of all of it. I want you to not worry about anything but sharing, sharing my love with people. Give your whole self to this mission, and I'll be with you in it. And here's the thing. That's what the disciples do. We know who Jesus is today. The church is doing great work of sharing the love of Jesus and caring for people in the world today because that's what they did. Some of them even gave their lives. They were literally martyrs for this good news. What does that look like for us to be witnesses? Or to ask it another way, it can be really easy to come on a Sunday morning and, and hang out and worship and kind of feel good about having faith again and get comfortable. But what if Jesus is calling us as he called them to something different, to step out of our comfort zones, to look beyond the walls and think about how, how do you not just get comfortable in your own faith, but how do you spread this good news and transform the world with my love? Will we risk stepping out and let God change the world through our lives and our witness? 
I think this is why our clay vision matters. Right? The world is kind of a scary place right now. Right? Over the last couple of years, many of us have been through have been through tough times. The church has been through tough times. We can look around on a Sunday morning and, and know that. Lives have been upended. Relationships have been upended by the conflict and strife in our world today. And yet it's, it's here that Jesus appears for the disciples in the midst of the conflict and the, and the strife and the questions and the future they imagine being upended and says, this is where you need to witness this is where I, I need to keep showing up, and you are the ones who are going to help me to keep showing up in these places. And he has given them a vision of what that's going to look like. That's why our, our clay vision is, I think, so important. William Bridges is a, uh, is a teacher. He works with corporations, nonprofits, and he helps them through times of change, times of transition, difficult times. And he says there are, there are four things that an organization should, should have a handle on as they're working the way through transition. And those four things are purpose and um, picture, plan, and part. Purpose, picture, plan, and part. The purpose is why does the organization exist or, or why do you exist? Our purpose is the church is to witness to Jesus Christ. Or our purpose here at Clay, it's our mission to walk with more people toward a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we do, that's why we do what we do. So the next part is picture. What, is that, what does that look like? Because to, to live into what that vision is, we've got to know what, how, how, can I, how can I get a picture of that? And that's where our vision comes into play. Right, well, what does it look like for us? Well, well the, the picture for us is that every person is embraced. We can just imagine anybody that we encounter is going to at some point feel embraced by the love of God because of our witness and because of our presence. Embracing all people in the love of God. Well, what else is it going to look like? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean that when we leave worship on Sunday morning, we're just not just going to be like, oh, that was nice, and I'm going to lunch now. But it means our passions are going to be ignited to serve where God calls. That we're going to let the, the Scripture speak to us of, a, of, a, of another way, of, of the way of Jesus, and we're going we're to go out and, and live into that. Passions ignited. And ultimately, the picture that we have is, is the picture of the early church as well. It's, it's that people in our community who don't know the love of Jesus right now or don't feel embraced in the love of Jesus right now are going to come to know it because of us. The third pillar of our vision is Christ's love expanding. Who are we? We are people who expand Christ's love into the world. Now you may notice there are two other parts of that, of William Bridges' ways to lead through transition, right? There's purpose, which we know. There's the picture, which we have in our vision. And then there are two more. There's the plan. How are you going to, to get to, to, to what's next? And part, 
How does each person understand that they have a part to play? Let me talk about the plan for just a moment. We have a a leadership team that has been working and praying and has developed a a strategic plan for us to to see how we can live into this picture. And and in the beginning of November, the first couple weeks of November, we're going to be introducing that strategic plan. And one of the things you'll see in that plan is that everybody has a part to play. To be the church in the world means, means all of us. Let me back up to a moment because I think we can get kind of obsessed with the plan, we should notice something about, about these followers of Jesus. Right? When, this, when Jesus came and appeared to them and said he'd send them out, and then he, he sends the Holy Spirit to them, that's what he's telling them to wait for. Wait, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Your passions are going to be ignited and then to go out. Um, but you'll notice something they didn't do in that room, or at least we have no stories. They didn't create a five-year plan. Right? They didn't go, okay, Peter, over the next five years, you're going to go in this direction. You need to reach 500 people there and, and 800 people in that community. All right, uh, Paul, you're going to be going this way. Like, they didn't create a, a strategic... Uh, now, all of that's important, and we're going to do that because that helps us know how we each have a part to play. But what they did in that room was they prayed, and they let the Holy Spirit lift their spirits and ignite their passions to serve, and then they went out and they started meeting with people along the roads of life. And I think it's really significant when we think about the story of the walk to Emmaus and really the the entirety of the resurrection story of Jesus. Um, Just before Jesus dies, the last thing he does with his followers is he sits down at a table and he breaks bread with them. And then, when he appears to Cleopas and the other disciple along the road, he comes off the road and he breaks bread with them. And then, in this story of what happens next with the disciples, he appears to them and he begins to talk to them. And then, what does he say? Hey, like, what's for dinner? Do you have something to eat? I already told a story about my daughter, so I have to balance that with a story about my son today. Noah is 17. Um, at 4.30 every day, uh, almost like clockwork, he comes into the kitchen, or into the, he'll find a parent, whichever one of us is available, really, wherever we are. He walks into the kitchen, and, uh, and now I don't even need to wait for him to, to figure out what he's going to ask. It's always the same question. What are we having for dinner? And see, the question, it actually isn't about what we're having for dinner, because he eats anything. He doesn't care what we're having for dinner. He just wants to be fed. The question, the question is really about when are we going to gather together as a family around dinner, because that ritual has become important to him. That gathering at table is where we share and where we talk about what's going on in our lives. I think about that and this appearance of Jesus in the story. It's so built around table. As Jesus is trying to help the disciples navigate this time of transition and difficulty, he gathers with them at the table. Just like my son, he's like, so, hey, what are we having to eat? I'm going to guess the resurrected Jesus wasn't too concerned about whether it was fish or bread or, or some other meal. 
He just wanted to invite them to sit down together because something happens when we break bread. Walls come down. In Middle Eastern culture at the time, I think it's even true today, when you break bread with someone, they can no longer be your enemy. You're bound by this meal to hospitality. What would it look like for us to take the step and just to start gathering at tables with others who don't know the love of Jesus and break bread with them? People who think like we do, people who don't think like we do. To open up the opportunity to share Christ's love. This, this is how Christ's love expanded. Building relationships along the roads of life. I said some of this last week, but I think it bears repeating today because each one of us do have a part to play in Christ's love expanding. We together are the church, all of us, those gathered here this morning, those who will hear the message later online. We are Christ's church together, and we all have a part to play. So I hope somebody is sitting out there today or hearing this message today, and you're, you're like, the Spirit's been nudging you to take a step in caring for someone or reaching out to somebody outside the church or, or getting involved in a ministry and, and you've been putting that off for whatever reason. You're not sure it's really the, the Holy Spirit or, or it's just tentative and, or, or you're worried about how you're going to find time to do that. And I hope, you, I hope you just hear God say today, go for it. I'm putting this passion on your heart to go and, and love somebody else, to share the love of Jesus with somebody else. Don't, don't hesitate. Go for it. And somebody here today is like, I am just too busy to think like new big idea about how to, how to serve others. And, and I, hope you, I hope you might let the Spirit say to you today, do you know what? There are big ways and there are small ways and everybody, everybody is going to contribute. You don't have to have an entrepreneurial grand idea. Maybe it's just the Spirit's put on your heart to, to call somebody who needs support right now in life that you know. And somebody who's hearing this message today is probably even, even now questioning whether they do have a part to play. Questioning your own self-worth. And I hope you hear God say today, I love you, I created you. I created you with gifts you may not even know and you have a part to play because your story is part of my story. And I'll help you find that story. My church will help you find that story. And some of you are here today and, and you've, been, you've been volunteering all the time in your life and you're loving it, and you, but, but you're kind of tired and I hope you hear hear God say today, I hope you, you see that, that that feeling of tiredness is, is, is worth it because you're part of this bigger expansion of my love into the world. I hope you can see the vision, you can catch the vision and know that you're, you're part of this. Everybody has a part to play. This is how we begin to share in Michiana and beyond, 
who the church is, who we are. Just one more quick story. When I was early in my ministry, three or four years in, I think, I remember one night I was leading a, a, a study group, a small group of kids, they were probably 11, 12, uh, senior high youth, and I was worn out, just absolutely worn out. The two weeks before that, we had, uh, I had led the funeral of the parents of one of our youth, um, and, uh, and the emotional toll was, it was well, you can imagine, it was just awful. And then right after that, we had a young person who came to me after an event who'd been cutting and, um, uh, and had confided in somebody for the first time, and so we'd been working with, with a young woman and her family and trying to find support for, for her. It had just been one of those spells in ministry where it just felt, it felt heavy. And I was tired that night, and I knew I was tired, and this, this young person looked right at me kind of as we were ending the study, and she said to me, she goes, why do you do it? And I knew what she was asking, but I I paused and gave myself a moment to think. I said, why do I do what? She's like, why do you do ministry? Like, why, why do you do this? You have to, you know, you have to be in the most difficult parts of people's lives, and you have to deal with, with loss and, and pain and grief. And, and, uh, um, and she's like, and you're always available to us, and I can't imagine how you find time to spend with your family, because you're always doing things with, with we kids, and, and you're, you're, you've given us your number so we can text you if, we're, if there's a struggle or we're in trouble. It's like, it's like you give all of your time to us. Why do you do it? And I thought a moment, and then, a, and then I looked at her, and I, I said, from the heart, I said, if one person in the funeral, in this family that we helped, if one person in this last couple weeks came to know the love of Jesus as an eternal presence in their lives, if one person claimed that promise, if one person felt like they could face another day because someone cared about them and that they knew God cared about them, then it is worth it. That's why I do this, because I want people to know that God loves them that Jesus accepts them as they are and then calls us on this wonderful journey of being the church together in the world. And then I said, and, and I love youth ministry because I get to play and have a great time. And yeah, sometimes they're tough, but I get to walk through you with those. But other times I get to hang out with you all and feel young and hip. And without missing a beat, she looked right at me and said, we don't say hip anymore. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why, why are you here today? Why do we come to church? Why does any of this matter? Why our vision for Clay Church? Because 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into the world to walk with us, sent his son into the world to teach us, sent his son into the world knowing that he would be beaten and killed for us. And then 
resurrected so that we would know the power of God's love in Christ. Why do we do this? Why this vision of who we are as Clay Church? Because we have a gift to share. Because there are people today in the world that still don't know that love or at least aren't experiencing it right now. And we get to wrap them up in that love and and show it to them. Why do we do it? Because there are people out there today who, who don't know that the church is about the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. That at the core of it all, this is what it's about. It's about eternal love. And we get to carry that good news and that message to the world and say, this is our promise to share with you. Why do we do it? Because God is calling Clay Church. God is calling you and me and all of us together as Clay Church to live into this specific vision that God has given to us in this time and culture and place in the trials of the world today to be a light. Jesus says, you will be witnesses. Not you might, not you could. May we hear God today saying to Clay Church, you will be witnesses. May we do just that. Amen.